The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Revelation chapter 10, and you all missed your opportunity for a flash mob right there. Uh, We left it open so that somebody could just be spontaneous and let the Spirit lead and uh, give an impromptu special, Uh, but uh, in your Bibles now tonight, Revelation chapter 10. It's where we'll be found, and uh, we'll do a little bit of recap over the last several weeks. But as we have, um, every uh, time since that we've been in uh, Revelation 1 and verse number 18, uh, we want to consider the outline of the book of Revelation as uh, the Lord gave to John. And uh, before I put it up on the screen... I want to ask uh, for you to say it out loud. And so the first step or the first point, the first segment of the book of Revelation uh, was for John to write about the things that he, what church? He saw. So the things that he saw, the past tense there, and the things that uh, he had uh, seen take place and uh, had already taken place as opposed to what he would be writing about in the future sense in in just a little bit. Uh, But those uh, events and those things are held in chapter number one and uh, the time where he's on the Alipatmos and he's given us the introduction to the book and his interaction with Jesus there uh, as he begins to uh, give him these visions and to take him up into the heavenly realm. Then, of course, point number two on that outline is not only for him to to write about things he saw, uh, but also to write about the things that are. And uh, so that the present tense, uh, of course, we know as he wrote to the seven churches there in Asia Minor, uh, modern day Turkey, um, those were, it was present for him. It was immediate right then. It was in real time for him. We look back on those things uh, as far as the literal churches and the people that he was specifically writing to at that time as it being history or past for us, but it still are or present because they involve the entirety of what we know as the church age, and so which we are still currently in. I believe we're probably at the latter stages of the church age than uh, the uh, beginnings of it. And I mean, I can honestly just attest to this, where every day that we get further from it, we're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. And so nevertheless, we can definitely say it that far. But then the last point is where we are currently in. And it started in chapter four and continues on through uh, the last of the, of the book. And so he wrote about the things that he saw, the things that are, and then thirdly, to write about the things that are after these things. And so that's what we've been studying. And of course, last week we began to actually conclude the judgments that would be the marking of the halfway point of what we know as the tribulation period, those seven years, or as Daniel would have put it, the last week of the 77s and, uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, we, we've looked at already in this first half of tribulation, we've looked at the seal judgments. There were seven seals on this book or scroll, and as Jesus broke the seal, they opened up, uh, and the, the uh, seal or the, the scroll, the book started to open, but with every breaking of a seal brought a 
impact, uh, something that would happen uh, as a result of it on earth. Then, of course, we were looking at the trumpet judgments as well. And they're called trumpet judgments because each judgment is announced by a blast of a heavenly uh, trumpet. And so each one of them, before they begin, we read that the trumpet would blow. And uh, the Lord uses trumpets as warnings. So each of these judgments serve as a warning uh, to the earth that, they're that it is approaching its end. Of course, the first four judgments, as you see up there on the screen, one, two, three, four, uh, they were focused uh, specifically on uh, attacking and judging the land, uh, the earth, the physical earth itself. And uh, during that time, we read about how there would be a, a third of the earth would be burned up, a third of the oceans turned to blood, a third of the earth's fresh water would be turned poisonous as well. And uh, the warnings implied by these judgments is obvious that the, the earth isn't going to last forever. In fact, we know that to be the, tr the case, as we've seen other places. For instance, he said, heaven and earth may pass away, but his word would stand forever, right? And uh, so uh, the end is coming. The world needs to prepare to, uh, to come face to face with its master and its maker. But then with, beginning with the fifth trumpet, uh, it continues on through these trumpet judgments, but the fifth sixth and seventh, we said also have an extra element to it. And we called those also what we know as the woe judgments, because with each trumpet blast comes a woe along with it. And uh, the word woe means judgment. So the final three judge, uh, trumpets will bring a special, especially difficult times upon humanity. Uh, and each of these judgments with the uh, last three of these trumpets or these woe judgments are going to be focused on uh, judging the, the uh, life, the human beings, uh, the, the individuals that are living at that time. Of course, the first woe judgment as we studied, it brought uh, forth uh, demons and uh, they, had the, they, they came upon the earth like locusts and they had tails like scorpions and they had the power of the sting and caused uh, suffering and this pain and suffering would last for five months and uh, would be without relief and, and uh, men would, uh, it would be in so much pain uh, that they would seek to, to, they would seek death, they would long for it. Uh, but part of the judgment would be the fact that they wouldn't be allowed to. And so we said that this judgment gave the unsaved of humanity a preview of what hell would be like without requiring uh, for them to be able to visit that place. Then, of course, the next one, uh, the, the sixth trumpet judgment, uh, the second woe judgment brought, up, uh, brought the entrance of these uh, four demons that had a 200 million uh, individual army that followed with them and brought great destruction. And in fact, with that, uh, a third of all humanity uh, would be killed. Whereas uh, everyone except for those who were sealed with the seal in their forehead by the 144,000 would experience uh, the uh, pain and the suffering of uh, that first woe judgment, uh, but, and they would long for death but wouldn't be able to experience it. Uh, with this one, a third of humanity would experience death, but everyone would be impacted by it in some way. Because when you have a third of humanity being, being killed, uh, it's going to impact you in some way. You're going to feel that, whether or not it was you that had died or a loved one or someone really close to you. And so the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments have been completed except for that final trumpet judgment, which brings in the bowl or the vile judgments, which will be the last half of, of, tri of tribulation. 
So as a result of the first half or three and a half years as we've studied so far, three and a half years have taken place in these verses of the tribulation that we've already studied. Uh, the result of that is this, about 50% of the uh, world's population is dead. One third of the earth is uninhabitable. One third of all bodies of water is undrinkable and also unnavigable. Uh, but the worst is still yet to come because this, this last trumpet's going to blow. And these seven vile or bold judgments are going to take place. I didn't skip ahead. There, there's that artist's rendition of uh, the, uh, uh, the scorpions and such. And Brother Brandon, I'm sorry, I didn't get that in there. Brother Brandon, he put a lot of work into a, uh, uh, a rendition of uh, the, uh, the, the beast that came out last week. And I promised him I'd get it in there, but I forgot to do that. So unfortunately, they didn't make it. Maybe we'll get it for weeks in the future, all right, Brother Brandon? Uh, but uh, so what we're coming to tonight is before we get into the last half of tribulation, where those, that seventh trumpet blows and those uh, seven bowl or vile judgments begin to take place, what we're going to take some time to look at is what we have termed and considered to be mid-tribulation. Now, we kind of tried to explain it a little bit last week as we discussed that, um, but this period uh, of mid-tribulation, it's the middle of tribulation, is, a, is simply a moment uh, when uh, we've experienced half of the seven years of tribulation have accomplished with another, the other half still to come. And, but, and, and while this, this moment is central uh, to the great changes that will take place on earth, it's so central that it de deserves its own recognition, its own attention in this narrative of Revelation itself. And so, in fact, we see here that Revelation devotes uh, four chapters specifically to this halfway point, to this uh, time where a transition takes place from the three and a half to the, to the latter three and a half, uh, plus a, some bookends, an introduction chapter and a closing chapter to that as well. And that's what you see here uh, on the screen. Chapter 10 is where we're at tonight, and we'll study through this evening. It will give us an introduction into this midpoint. And chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 will discuss uh, all of the events that take place during that time. And chapter 15 will close it out, moving us from midpoint to the last half of tribulation. And so the, the, the midpoint of tribulation, while it is a brief moment, it is a point of time that is dividing three and a half years, uh, the first three and a half years from the second three and a half years. And we see this referenced in different ways. We said last week, we see it maybe referenced as 42 months. We can see it referenced as 1,260 days. Uh, we can see it as Daniel put it, uh, times, uh, times, time, and, and a half. And uh, those are all references uh, to this, this midpoint of what is going to take place, that half of it is done and uh, half of it still to come. And so when we say mid-tribulation, we're not speaking of just like a flash in a pan, it divides, yes, a half, uh, two, two, two halves uh, uh, from each other. But uh, when we say it, we're not talking about a single moment, but a period of time surrounding that moment. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's one event uh, with several instances stacked upon each other. So that as we see chapter 11 and 12 and 13 and uh, 14, 
explaining events, we have to understand that they're all happening simultaneously, all at the same time as it divides these two halves. And so uh, when we look at these, what will total six chapters, including chapter 10 and 15, uh, we'll remember they're all happening at the same time and they're focused on a midpoint of tribulation by noting those times as we go along as well. So chapter 10 here tonight, it talks about what is coming in this mid-tribulation moment or period. And chapter 15 uh, talks about what comes next as we move out of it as well. So let's move into this introduction of this tonight. And uh, as we do so, uh, let's read uh, the entire chapter here of uh, Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth, and he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel, which I saw standing on the sea uh, and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth for uh, ever and ever, who uh, created heaven and the things that, uh, that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things that therein, that which are therein, uh, that there should be uh, time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, uh, when he shall begin to sound that the mystery of God should be finished, and he hath declared to his servants, the prophets, and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said unto him, Give me uh, the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter." but it shall be in thy mouth uh, sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as, a, as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Our Father, we come to you tonight and we thank you for another opportunity to be here in your house and for an opportunity to study your word and to again uh, recognize your authority and your power and uh, the, uh, to sense the fact that you're in control. And uh, Lord, I ask now that you give me the words to speak as I deliver your word here tonight and that you would be on glorified through it as we study and your Holy Spirit guide us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin tonight, as we look at the first seven verses, I want us to notice, number one tonight, that God, God's word comes with authority. And uh, as we've read here in the, uh, the chapter before us in chapter 10, John says, another strong angel uh, comes down from heaven. He's surrounded by a cloud and a rainbow is above him, it says. But he says specifically that another strong or mighty angel has appeared unto him because this is, uh, is similar to the instance that he experienced back in chapter 7. Chapter 7 and verse number 2, a similar angel possessing the seal of the living God to be able to seal the 144,000 appeared unto John in a similar way. 
But this angel here in chapter 10, um, is, it's like the first, yes, but the appearance is different. The Bible tells us some specific things about this angel that appears to John. And I want you to contrast this angel uh, with the fallen angels or the demons that we've seen recently in the chapters prior to this as well. Uh, we, we read that the Bible says that his face is glowing like the sun, and that his feet were like as pillars of fire. And, and uh, this is no doubt a strong, magnificent, maj- majestic appearance that is standing, of, of one that is standing before uh, John. And it suggests that this angel has great authority as well. And when we, when we read a description and consider the angel that stands before John and the events that unfold, uh, we might begin to wonder, who is this angel? Is there, uh, is there any other appearances of this angel in Scripture? Can we maybe find a name for him? Does the Bible give us clues to that? Well, we definitely can clearly see that because of what the Scripture tells us about this angel and what he does and, and the message that he brings along, uh, that he has a prominent place in heaven. He has great authority, as we've already said. And a clue to identify this angel is by what he's carrying. The Bible says here that he carries a little book with him. If you'll go back in uh, verse uh, number, uh, let's see, verse number two of chapter 10, it says, and he had in his hand a little book that was open, it says. Now, the word for book in Greek uh, is, uh, uh, is bibliaradion, uh, which, which means a large book, okay? However, the word that is used here is biblios, Uh, which means a smaller version of a book or a small scroll. So what John says here is that this angel is carrying a little or small book, a little or small scroll, something that is smaller than the usual size. So how many of you maybe own or have seen someone have a pocket New Testament? Anybody ever see that? All right, that's the Bible. It's the New Testament, of course, but it's not this Bible right here. And this Bible is even smaller than a family-sized Bible. How many of you have ever seen a family-sized Bible, maybe sitting on the coffee table or something like that? Now, the reason that they make those is because for the one that goes door to door or one that wants to have the Word of God accessible, especially before they had smartphones with the apps, right? Uh, but we, we, especially for then, they want to have the Word of God accessible, but not carry around the big old family Bible underneath their arm. They could use the smaller version and stick it in their pocket or in the lady's purse and so forth. So in like fashion, we find that this, this strong angel, he has a small book, something that is smaller than the normal size is what is being spoken of here. And when the, when the angel reaches the earth, The Bible says that he's so mighty and magnificent, so large, that one foot stands upon the sea and one foot stands upon the land, and uh, his his voice is like the voice of of a lion, it says, when it roars. I remember uh, a couple years ago, we were at the San Diego Zoo, and, and uh, we were walking by the tiger enclosure, and the tiger was not happy that the other tiger was on, it, on the rock up there, and it was pacing back and forth, and we were just watching what was going to take place, and finally it let out a roar, and we all jumped. Uh, we recently took the kids to uh, the... Uh, uh, the zoo up in Tucson, uh, Reed Park Zoo, and uh, they, have a, they have lions there. And uh, we were uh, behind it. We weren't even around it. We were behind in the bird area. And all of a sudden, we heard this huge, mighty roar. And uh, we thought maybe that it was the dinosaurs. You say, what? 
literally, they had statues of dinosaurs, animatronic dinosaurs there. And so we thought maybe it was one of them, uh, but it was actually a lion that was roaring for whatever the case was. But if you've ever experienced that and heard that, you know the, the power and the might behind it. And that's what John likens this angel's voice to. And we, when we, we see this, that the, he's the, uh, the angel, of course, is a messenger of God, and he's delivering uh, the will and the word of God. And we understand tonight that God's word comes with authority, and his word is authoritative and comprehensive. Because in response to this angel coming, uh, notice the, the Bible tells us here in uh, verse number three, cry with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, guess what it says? Seven thunders uttered their voices. When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. So in response to the sounds, the heavenly realm responds with these seven voices of thunder. The voices had to have revealed some truth of some sort to John because he says he was about to write down what he heard. I mean, John, the whole time that he's experiencing these things, he's taking some pretty good notes, right? You say, I never took very good notes in school. Well, John, John was, had a, a specific task, as we've already said, as he wrote. He was to write about the things he saw, the things that are, and the things after these things. And so he's taken all these things down. And when he hears this message that he describes as seven thunderings of judgment, he begins to write it down, but the Lord says, no, nope, seal it up. We're not going to uh, discuss this at this point. And uh, so he's ordered not to write, all, uh, write at all, uh, but to seal up what he's heard. And so we find with this that his word is not only authoritative and comprehensive, but his word is also sovereign and somewhat mysterious. Because notice as we move into verse number four, he says, I heard the voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. And this simply means that he's to hide them or to keep secret what he's heard. Now, all this that has taken place, these first four verses are somewhat odd in the details. And because so far we've seen an angel show up, he's mighty, he's got magnificence, he's got authority, he's large and in charge, it seems, right? He's got a, a little book. I mean, could you just picture this? Here's this mighty, strapping, you know, muscular angel, right? Because that's what all angels look like, right? They've got the ripping, rippling muscles like Hercules and all of that. But uh, here he's standing there, one foot on the sea, one foot on the, on the land, and then he whips out this little book. It's like, wow, okay. It's like the genie on Aladdin, right? Great cosmic powers, space, right? And so uh, it's kind of that scenario that's taking place as we see this. And it's all like, what is going on? And as he makes, as he speaks, then heavens, the heavens cry out with seven thundering judgments. And then John starts to take note. The Lord says, no, don't take note. Actually conceal and hide up and, and don't make known what you've just heard. And so we're left wondering what in the world is going on? How can we make sense of it? And the scene seems almost incomprehensible unless we've studied elsewhere in Scripture. Because, like we said, we don't go to the bookstore and pick up the next best-selling novel and jump to the last chapter and expect to get all of the references that are found there. 
the book is meant to be read in its entirety to be able to get a comprehension of it. And if we just jumped into this, this chapter of chapter 10 of Revelation and just read there, we'd say, what in the world is going on? However, though, if we've studied the rest of the scriptures, specifically in the book of Daniel, you might begin to remember some things. And for those of you who were here when we studied through the book of Daniel, before we got into this uh, portion of uh, this uh, study with Revelation, you might have already started to have the wheel start turning like, hey, this sounds familiar because we referenced it then as well. But back in Daniel chapter 12, that uh, earlier moment here in chapter 12, Daniel 12, it finds a similar situation, a strong angel who appears in the same manner as it appears to John. It appears next to the water and next to the land as well. And in that earlier moment, it's speaking to a different individual, a different prophet, if you may. And he also tells that prophet to take and seal up the things that he's heard, the things that he's just received, uh, and, and so that they could be held and be wait, wait to be revealed in the future. And therefore, this scene in Revelation 10 is intended to draw our attention back to what we've already seen in Daniel chapter 12. And by that connection, we come to understand exactly what is taking place here. And so let's go back in your Bibles to Daniel 12 so we can read along here and see how this all starts to unfold and start to make sense of this scene here that thrusts us in to this midpoint, this separation between the first three and a half years and the last three and a half years of, of tribulation. Daniel 12 and verse number one. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since that uh, there was a nation even to that time, same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to, the sh to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, uh, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to, uh, shall it be to the end of those wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the, of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto the heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And so because we're dropping into this last chapter of Daniel, it's important that we maybe lay some groundwork, some context of what is taking place here, uh, especially since it's been such a long time since we've studied those, uh, that portion of Scripture in Daniel, and many of, of you might not have been able to be here for that particular study as well. And so this chapter opens with the phrase, and at that time. If you have your Bible open, you'll see that in verse number one, and at that time. The time that Daniel is speaking about is the time that is being described at the end of the prior chapter, chapter number 11. 
Now, we won't go back for the sake of time tonight to read that chapter, but in summary, the end of chapter 11, Daniel was explaining the rise and the work of the Antichrist in his, his conquest to, to conquer the world. And that tells us then that at that time refers to the time of tribulation. Since he's been discussing the work of the Antichrist and his rise to power and all that he's going to accomplish and, and rule and, uh, and strive to destroy, that helps us pinpoint that, okay, if he says then in chapter 12, then at that time, what time? The time of the Antichrist. When's the Antichrist going to be around? In the seven years of tribulation. So we can start to pinpoint when that time is. And at that time, a powerful and strong angel, which the Bible says in verse number one of Daniel 12, is Michael. He will arise, which means uh, he will stand up there, it says. And, and, uh, and when he means, when it, what it says when it's saying that he's arising or standing up, it is meaning that he's assuming his assigned role. He's taking his station. He's taking his position. Um, it'd be like on a, a baseball field. And uh, everyone mourn with me as baseball is, is sadly not beginning like it should be right now. Let's take a moment of silence, actually. But uh, it, it'd be like on a baseball field and the coach saying, okay, you go take shortstop. All right. That gives that player a specific position a place that he's supposed to man and to, and to take play and to go. If, if somebody says, hey, it's your turn to bat, they know that they're supposed to go stand in the batter's box. And uh, so you, in that same scenario, same situation, Michael stands up. It means he's taking his assigned role, his station, and he, he takes his station in a period of great distress that is unlike any other, the Bible tells us, which refers to the tribulation, particularly the great tribulation. Uh, the Great Tribulation is the name that Jesus gave to the last part, the last half of tribulation. We read this in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 21 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor even shall, uh, shall be. And so as we move through these mid-tribulation chapters, the introduction in chapter 10, chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, and then the book end at chapter 15. As we move through these chapters, we're going to learn what's going to start taking place and what makes the second half of tribulation so great. Or maybe I should say so terrible, right? But uh, we're going to see what is so bad about it and why it makes it so bad as we see this transition. But meanwhile here, Daniel's description in verse number 5 of what he sees is similar quite similar to what we read from John in Revelation 10. Daniel has a man in linen, the Bible says here, hovering above the river with two other messengers standing on either side of the river. Now John's great angel says it descends upon the water and the lands, one foot on land, one on water. So we see a similarity in that as well. And in Revelation 10, John hears something spoken by thunder that he can't reveal, but he must seal up for a time. And likewise, we've just read in Daniel 12 that Daniel heard something from an angel that he was told not to reveal, and he was told not to reveal it either, but to instead, he was to also seal it up. So we see these two scenes are very similar, and it suggests a connection. And what I'm submitting tonight is this, is that Daniel's moment is conversation one, and John's moment is conversation two in a single conversation 
from the same great angel. And he said, what in the world did you just say? Exactly. So here's what I, what I, let me illustrate it like this. Daniel's conversation with Michael in Daniel 12 is like me coming to uh, Miss Beverly, who helps organize our nurseries, and what a wonderful job she does, right? And thankful for that. But uh, me coming to Miss Beverly and having a conversation about something specifically for the nursery, and uh, we need to work on this, and, uh, and I think that, uh, you know what, I think Jessica would be perfect to help with that as well. But I've told you what the plan is, but don't say anything about it yet. Let me go talk to Jessica first before we start to talk about it together. So then I leave that conversation, and I don't get to go immediately to talk to Jessica. Hours or even days goes by before I'm able to talk to her. Then finally, there's a moment where I come to Jessica and I start to talk to her about all these things as well. And uh, says, all right, uh, does that make sense? Everybody on board? I think this will work good. But uh, let's get together and talk about it here in two days at seven o'clock or whatever. You know what I mean? And so the action hasn't, still hasn't been yet accomplished. However, both parties have been informed, and we're going to have a moment where it comes to a culmination. Does that make sense? So this is what happened. Angel Michael comes to Daniel in Daniel chapter 12. He says, hey, let me tell you about these last three and a half years of, of tribulation. They are going to be like none other. And that's when he, he comes on the scene, actually. He takes his position. He assumes his role, then the Bible says Michael will. And let me tell you a little bit about it. And Daniel starts to hear all this, and he's writing all of this down, and he's puzzled by it because he's like, he can't understand how events can be so terrible and so horrible and, uh, by being what's being described. And so Daniel's puzzled at it and, because he's just been told about it, but he's also been told to take it and seal it up and close it up. Because he knows about it, he starts to inquire about it. says, hey, can somebody explain this? And the Lord says, Daniel, it's not for you to know right now. It's not until the end of the ages. Let's look at what verse number, the last verse number 12 says specifically. It says, sealed till the time of the end, okay? So then John here, he, uh, he's uh, writing, and uh, you know, Daniel, this took place hundreds of years even before Christ came to the earth. John is writing around 95 AD, so, I mean, it could be 40, 50 years or so uh, from the time that Jesus had already ascended into heaven, right? And so an angel, I presume that it's Michael, based off of what is taking place, comes to John, and he has a book in his hand. And he says, hey, John, I want you to take this book and understand this book. But, it, but John is not able to even talk about it yet. And there, there's still things that need to be accomplished and all of that. But what we see here is Daniel is told the wonders that, and, and uh, he hears about will go on for a time, he said, times and a half. That's three and a half years. We've already discussed that through the Daniel studies as well. And uh, so we know Daniel was learning about the second half of tribulation. And uh, so here in chapter 10 of Revelation, we find our answer among the second part of the conversation with the angel. Because Daniel's angel took the scroll from Daniel, or the book from Daniel, and held it until this time in the first century. And that's what we see take place. But in verse 2, John says the angel descends from heaven, heaven carrying this little book. 
And then John hears the things spoken, and he can't repeat it, or at least not yet, things that concern this very end of tribulation. Now, the interesting thing about it is this, that Daniel heard it and had the weight on it and never could speak about it in his lifetime. John hears it, and he's pretty much told the same thing, hold it, hold your tongue about it. But he's told he doesn't have to hold it for as long as Daniel did because we will start reading about these events once we get into chapter 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and so on. And so nevertheless, the angel stands on the sea and the land. He praises the Lord for not delaying longer in the fulfillment of these things. And that delay that is being spoken about has been the delay that Daniel had to experience. He knew they were going to unfold. But when was the key? What was Daniel told? Daniel was told that they would be sealed till the time of the end. What did we say signifies or rests at the end of the age of the Gentiles? The church age. And so what is being said here is, hey, Daniel, you're not going to be able to, this isn't going to be revealed until the end of the age, which is right there at the church age. Here's John in 95 AD, the first century of the church, the beginning of the church age, he's getting it. So he, here's Daniel. He's, he's hearing about things in the future. And then John is in the future, and he hears more about these things, but he's hearing about things that are still future to us as well. Man, what a, what a scenario, right? Sounds like somebody that would write a time warp uh, uh, show would write about or something along those lines. But this is exactly what's taking place. Uh, Daniel's hearing about these things, and then John hears about these things, and they will be fulfilled when that seventh trumpet blows, when these bowl or vile judgments begin to come to pass. But as we round out the chapter here tonight of chapter 10, we said, number one, that God's uh, word comes with authority. But notice as Daniel takes this word, that number two, God's word must be assimilated as well. Because verses 8 through 11 say this, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. I went to the angel, said to him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So here's a process of what Daniel did with God's word or his message. First, Daniel took it. We read that there in verse number 8. He's told to take this small book from the angel and to eat it. And Now, that's interesting because normally scrolls were made of uh, papyrus rolls, for instance, or something along those lines, and were not edible, or at least not palatable. And so, uh, you know, here we could kind of illustrate that here. We could use this as a scroll, and John takes it from the, the uh, angel, and he's not only told to take it, but he's also told to feed upon it. So we could just illustrate, like, just kidding, I'm not going to do that tonight. But uh, verses 9 through 10 tells us that he's told to take and eat it. Uh, he says that when he eats it, it will be sweet to the taste, but bitter to the stomach. Now, I don't know all of the ins and outs of what made it sweet to taste like honey. Uh, I could understand why a foreign substance like a scroll would make your tummy a little ill. 
Um, but nevertheless, I don't think that's the thrust of what is trying to be gotten here. Um, I think what we're trying to what what is trying to be um, conveyed is the fact of the truth that he received. The truth that he received was the fact that God had already predetermined these events, and he's watched, starting to watch them unfold. So it's, it's sweet in the fact that God's word is trustworthy, that God is going to accomplish his work and his will, but it's also bitter in the fact to think that that means thousands, if not millions of individuals are right on the brink of eternal damnation. John, he's an apostle. John, he's walked with Jesus. John, he would have had the heart of Jesus. And so therefore, it was sweet in knowing that his Lord's still in control and what is going to be accomplished is going to be accomplished. But it was a little bitter in the fact of the great wrath that would, be, uh, would unfold because of it. And prophecy is a lot like that, isn't it? Like it's, 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 it's interesting, it's sweet for the Christian to be able to take some time and to study it and to really start putting some pieces together and, and get a, an understanding of what is going to come in the future. But when we really take a step back and think about the torment and the troubles and the trials and the pain and the suffering and the loss and death that is going to be, a, man, it, doesn't it make your stomach churn a little bit? And that's what was happening with Daniel. And Daniel's told he's going to have to end up prophesying about these things to great multitudes of people, of course. And as we digest, if I could put it this way, of course, John's told to take the word. He's told to feed on the word. He's ultimately told to proclaim the word as we see there in verse number 11. And those are things that I think we could even apply to our lives today. We ought to take the word of God and take it to heart, feed upon it, rely on it daily, of course. And then, of course, proclaim its truths to the world as well. But as we start to think about what we've just been studying here tonight in the book of Revelation and things to come, because of how bitter it can turn and, and seem so, so terrible... It can leave one to think, why? Could there not have been another way? Could there not have been a way for the Lord to be able to bring to pass His will without such turmoil and judgment? I will submit to you tonight that had God chosen to do it any other way, He could have done it that way. He's God. However, as we have done already, we've looked that all of these events are a result of promises or covenants that have already been made. These are predetermined. And so therefore, the reason why these things unfold is because of God's faithfulness. We love His faithfulness when it's found in blessings. His mercies are new every morning. Oh, I'm thankful for His faithful new mercies every day. 
I'm thankful for his faithful love. I'm thankful for his faithfulness that set his face as a flint towards Calvary so that he might be able to die for yours and my sin. I'm thankful for the fact that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for the fact that he loves me unconditionally. I'm thankful that he said he wouldn't leave me lonely and leave me alone, that he'd send the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and that when I trusted him as Savior, the Holy Spirit took up residence in my life. I'm thankful for the fact that the Lord provides and he, he takes care of his people and that he directs our paths. His word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my feet. I'm thankful that he's faithful in all of those good things. But if he weren't faithful in all of the, what we see as bad things, he wouldn't be faithful at all. And so when we look at these things, we start to churn, our stomach might start to churn and say, man, this is horrible. And it's, it's exciting at first, kind of sweet to think about, man, this is, this is what the end is going to look like. And then we realize, man, this is what the end is going to look like. And it turns from sweet to bitter. And, but we've got to remember this one thing, that in all that we relearn that he is always faithful. He's perfectly faithful. So I want to go back to Daniel 12 before we close tonight. And I want to look back in at verse number 10 and 11. It says in verse number 10, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that, that, uh, that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be, notice the time there, a thousand two hundred ninety days. So earlier in Daniel 12, verse number 7, we learned that the events of Daniel was recorded on his scroll and would last for times, time, and a half. So three and a half years. We also know that tribulation is started by a covenant uh, between Israel's leaders and the Antichrist that would bring forth uh, the temple uh, again and, and uh, sacrifices also. And uh, that would be the official beginning of these seven years of tribulation. Now Daniel 12 confirmed that the midpoint of tribulation comes at times, time, and a half, or 1,260 days after the signing of a covenant. So let's put this on a timeline so we can picture this, all right? And so what we have here, we have the beginning of tribulation with the covenant. Daniel says that the great tribulation, the last horrible as never been seen before ever on earth will begin after times, times and a half, which is 1,260 days. So that would mean after uh, it would last that long. So that means that halfway of, if you split that in half, 1,260 on one half, 1,260 on the other half. Now, the, verse number 11 defines the midpoint, though, as when the Antichrist abolishes these sacrifices in the temple. Read that again. It says, and from the time that the daily sacrifices shall be taken away. So the tribulation period began uh, with uh, the signing of a covenant to be able to have these sacrifices begin again. And the halfway point is signified when he breaks that vow, breaks that covenant. And you might spot, though, uh, that from the time of the abolishing of the sacrifice until the abomination of desolation, 
there are 30 days that are unaccounted for because it says there uh, at the latter part of verse number uh, 12 or 11, it says that it's the time of 1,290 days. So a time times and half is 1,260. And so there's 30 days that are unaccounted for there because now it says there's an extra 30 days with 1,290. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to focus, continue to focus on these four chapters here, what we are calling mid-tribulation. We've looked at the intro to that. We'll look at the bookend of it also before we get into all of the events that cover here um, and how that relates to the covenant that will be broken. And then we'll return to that 30-day period when we study Daniel, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter number 19. That's where we find it. And in fact, if if that's not enough, uh, there's actually another 45 days added to that uh, eventually, and there's a, 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 a set of 75 days before the, after all this is accomplished and the Lord returns for his, uh, his millennial reign as well, which we'll get into all of those things also. But these events are so important because this is what separates really horrible things from extremely horrible things. These events, they catastrophically changed the world. As we spoke about even last week, I don't know if I shared the title of it, uh, of the message, but the message was simply like a, a battle that changes the course of history. Because those four demons and their 200 million uh, person army uh, that comes and kills a third of the, of, of the world's population uh, was the just the uh, it was the spark that set all this to start to burning. And all of these events will be the culmination and what cuts that off to bringing in what we know as the Great Tribulation as we close. And uh, so these events of mid-tribulation, as you see there, cover chapters 11 through 14, which we'll get into in the weeks to come. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this evening and your goodness. And Lord, I ask now that as we've studied your word tonight, that uh, you would have uh, spoken to our hearts, that you'd help, have helped us to be able to see uh, your faithfulness um, tonight. Your word has authority, and therefore, in your, uh, your authority and faithfulness, we need to assimilate it into our lives. Uh, uh, like John uh, was told to take your word and to, uh, to feed upon it and to, and to declare it, Lord, help us to, to have that routine daily. And as we come to your, your house to study and to hear your word proclaimed, help it to be a part of that also. But Lord, we just thank you and praise you for your faithfulness and would ask that as we bring our request to you tonight, that uh, we would just be able to trust your faithfulness in answering those requests as well. We thank you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.